back to another episode of Let Me Tell You. Today, we have an interview with Mikey M of the Pac-12 Network. But first, we have to talk about some important news. Bobby Buckets, the all-time leading scorer in WSU basketball history, has signed with the top Polish professional team for the 2021 basketball season. She is the only WSU women's basketball player in the history to score 2,000 points, and she's also WSU's only four-time All-Pac-12 conference selection. No basketball player, male or female, has scored more points at Washington State than she has. But let's switch over to football. The 2021 recruiting class is halfway full with the signing of three-star defensive back Jaden Hicks with three-star defensive back Jaden Hicks from Bishop Gorman in Nevada. Hicks had offers from Penn State, both Arizona schools in the Pac-12, and Boise. But the Cougars had the upper hand in recruiting him throughout the entire process due to the fact that his brother Kalen played for Rolovich in Hawaii, so he was able to experience what Rolo was like as a coach and then learned that Rolo was a good coach. Hicks is still currently the fifth best ranked prospect in the entire state. His commitment now brings the Cougars to the seventh ranked overall class for recruiting in the Pac-12. All right, let's jump into this interview with Mike Yam. Let's go. Calling Mike Yam, host for the Pac-12 Network. So, for the listeners who don't know who you are, why don't you give us the quick 30-second elevator pitch about yourself? Uh, for sure, man. Well, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and, sure. uh, you know, look, man, I, I've been at Pac-12 Network since we launched this thing eight years ago, back in 2012. And um, I guess working backwards, I was at ESPN for four years. I did everything from Sports Center to um, NBA shows, college basketball shows, college football shows. Um, and then prior to that, I was double dipping doing NBA TV. Um, I guess triple dipping because I was working at Sirius Radio full time doing an all sports show, an NBA show uh, with Kenny Smith called Full Court Press on NBA Radio and was working at ESPN Radio doing some fill-ins some fantasy talk form as well and then NBA TV. So and then prior to that, and I think I probably hit my 30 second time limit, but I, okay. I grew up in the Northeast and went to Fordham uh, in New York City. And, and certainly my background was radio before I got any TV work after I was able to graduate. I really missed my time on those college campuses. And I know you still got a couple of years left uh, up in Pullman, man. So to so enjoy every second of it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've been home way too long. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I, haven't we all? If you had to look back at it, what was the most impressive piece of advice you've given? And what was the, if you could look back, and take some advice back, what would you give? Like on a waiver wire pickup or a trade? Oh, God, man. It's been a while since I've done fantasy. You know what the, the kind of the crazy thing about it, Walker, is had it not been for fantasy sports, I don't know if I get my first television job, to be honest oh, really? with you. So right around that time, I was working at Sirius Radio. It was my first. I had had some other jobs as a freelancer, but but Sirius Radio, and it, this was when it was Sirius before it merged with, with XM Radio, to be Sirius XM, but – I, I, that was my first sort of real job out of school and NBA TV, the, the Olympics were in Torino. And at that time, NBA TV was run by the league and not Turner down in Atlanta. So their studios were in Secaucus, New Jersey, not too far from where I grew up. And what happened was they were using a lot of local television anchors from New York. Uh, on their studio shows. So what ended up happening was the Olympics come and a lot of the major markets in the country sent reporters and their sports folks to the Olympic Games. Um, so that actually opened up the door. They needed some on-air people. So I was able to get an audition at the time because of my work on Sirius Radio on the NBA channel. And they had asked me, like, hey, do you understand fantasy sports? And I had been playing 
NBA fantasy um, basketball on, on real GM or NBA.com. It was like real GM.com or one of those deals. I don't know. You have, all right. So I don't even know if it still existed. So, um, yeah. So like, that was like my big, like we all played in high school and, and, you know, I was playing like in eighth grade can tell y'all, you know, Antoine Walker, who I got to work with oddly enough a few years ago, Antoine was like this huge waiver wire pickup for me at one year, just because of all the threes that he was able to hit. Maybe I traded for him, but the point is they needed someone. They took Rick Kamla, who was, uh, I don't think he's at NBA TV anymore, but Rick, was their main fantasy guy. So they moved him to do more studio work and they needed someone to do fantasy sports. So that's how I got the audition. And fast forward a few years, was able to do fantasy for an extended period of time, not to mention some of their studio work, which obviously helped me get the job at ESPN to do television full time. But had it not been for fantasy, man, I don't know if I'd be working in television. Wow. That's, would not have guessed that. That's impressive. Just everyone is kind of poo-poo's fantasy, I guess. But for you, it changed your life, I would say. No doubt. No doubt. And I mean, look, it, look, fantasy basketball, I don't know. I don't think it's as popular as, as fantasy football. But that also, you know, I did a fantasy show for ESPN radio back in the day. And, and the majority of it was was all football. Um, but the reality is, like, between sports betting and, and fantasy sports, like, that is a massive industry right now. And, and maybe it's a little niche, but... Um, in my world, especially, you know, for you, Walker, just because I know you're young and you're still in college, like anyone, any of your classmates or anyone who's listening to the podcast that that is hoping to, you know, to, to find a lane in broadcasting when they graduate, I always say this, if you can get a job on air, just take that job. And if it means fantasy sports and that's not exactly what your end goal is, it doesn't matter. You just want the opportunities, want the reps um, at the professional level. And hopefully that'll just mean more work for you down the road. You just got to get your foot in the door, take any opportunity no to give you. Absolutely. So let's transition into the, what I think, what college sports will look like in the upcoming year. Obviously, COVID has changed how we'll have sports this year. But what is your best guess for what the upcoming football or basketball season will look like? I'm radio. I work on their, on their Pac-12 channel and, and ESPNU radio. And I was filling in with Coach Neuheisel last week, and we spent a ton of time on this topic you know, from a pro side of things, I think it's a really different conversation than when you're dealing with non-paid student athletes. And I think, you know, when this all went down in March, I was in Vegas, and then the NBA shut down. We were at the Pac-12 tournament there, and we only had the one day of play. Yeah, that but, me out. Oh, God, it was such a buzzkill. You know, I felt like we'd get, you know, this, this would blow over. And after, like, two weeks, I realized, like, oh, man, like, this thing might be lasting for – for a significant period of time. And if you remember Walker, you know, Kirk Herbstreit went on uh, television and said, Hey, like, I don't know if we're going to have a college football season. And at that point I was like, Oh man, like I think that's just kind of over the top. And I certainly can understand why he would think that, but I, I, I think we'll get something. And, you know, about a month and a half ago felt really optimistic. The cases seemed to be um, under control the uh, the curve was being bent, and over the last couple of weeks now, my stance is changing a little bit. I don't feel as confident as I did about a month and a half ago, especially with surging cases in some really significant states that have um, important college football. And, you know, from a Pac-12 perspective, Arizona has been dealing with a lot, and, and you know, U of A said pump the brakes on kids getting back to campus for those voluntary workouts. You know, at the end of the day, I, I think it makes a lot of sense from a financial standpoint to make a really good attempt to try to get this thing going on time. I don't know if it actually happens. You know, as the the last three weeks, I went from like 75% 
down to uh, right now i feel like it's a 50 50 uh coin flip you just don't know now there's a lot of time i think the next couple weeks are really crucial to a timeline to make that happen now there's been some ad's some subcommittees and some power five conferences like the big 12 for example that have tried to come up with planning and what it looks like if there's a spring season um i obviously there'd be a little bit of a financial hit for a lot of the institutions in the country but you know, maybe it makes more sense. Maybe it buys some time for pharmaceutical companies to come up with vaccines in order to to make this happen. Better protocol, universal protocol across the board at a lot of these universities um, across the country. I know some some student athletes have been pretty vocal about that sort of thing. And, and you know, to be honest with you, Walker, and I don't think we discussed this nearly enough, but. From a mental health standpoint, you know, USC last week said, hey, we're going to go almost exclusively online courses. And it got me thinking, what do you do if you're a college football player or just college athlete and you're expected to be on campus? You show up, you practice, you play your games, you go to your classes from your dorm room, maybe online. They're not in person. Like, what's that experience like for you? That's a lot of downtime. I had a conversation with Natalie Cho, who is a a women's basketball player at UCLA, and she was a little bit worried about that aspect of your normal life. Like, Walker, you're you're a student at Washington State, man. Like, you you hang out with your boys, you go out, you have a good time, and and you're in college. Like, that's a different existence without students on campus. So I, I do think there's a lot of variables that really still need to be figured out here. I hope to God we get it going because I know I would be super excited to see another season start on time, but I just don't know how realistic it is right now with the state of affairs with regard to surging cases of COVID-19. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, well, the SEC has been pretty vocal about having college football because they make billions of dollars, so it's understandable, and the Pac-12 doesn't make as much, obviously. But I think the problem is once this, I think the student-athletes, could assimilate back into campus or could come back to campus relatively safe. There's such a small amount of them. Like once Pullman fills up with 20,000 more students, I think that's when the real issue is. Do you think it's possible that some college football teams might go online for classes in order to have a college football season because going online would minimize the amount of students and possible cross-contamination? The USC would have college kids they would have the college athletes so no one on i have a friend at usc and she said no one's going back to campus pretty much as a student but all the athletes are going back so do you think oh no doubt like i think that that absolutely is a model that i think not only usc but i would imagine a lot of schools not just the pastoral conference but you know among power five uh, squads. I, I think a lot of universities are considering a model like that. Um, it, and it makes sense to me with regard to just having, trying to limit the amount of, of students and just the sheer number of people in a concentrated area. But that goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, sort of the mental health side of things. I mean, that is a very different college experience for everyone across the board, whether you're an athlete or not. You know, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to take classes on a computer in my mom's kitchen, you know, when I was, you know, a sophomore at Fordham. Like, that's it's a very different experience than the one that I got on campus. So, um, but I absolutely do think that, that there's a there's a problem, there's a high probability if there is a college football season, Walker, that starts on time, I would imagine that a lot of universities are looking at something like that. Okay, that's what I figured. All right, so continuing with the L.A. football programs, 
One of the biggest stories ongoing in the Pac-12 this week is the legal battle between Under Armour, the sports company who is looking to walk from a 15-year deal with the storied UCLA Bruins program only four years into it. A lot of people are guessing that it's the economy currently or the lackluster showing from the program in the last few years. What are your thoughts on that situation? Yeah, I think it's, you know, what's really interesting, and I don't know if you saw this tweet, but um, I think in Cal's situation, not the UCLA side of things, but if I'm not mistaken, Darren Ravel had tweeted that neither Cal or Under Armour actually signed their agreement that's been um, ongoing now for the last three years. So that's going to oh. be a pretty interesting legal legal battle. Like I, I think there's an argument from a Cal perspective. Look, I mean, if you have gone forth with the agreement in the contract, it, it's almost like it was signed then. And I don't know the exact legal jargon for that, right, but I would imagine that Cal's in a better arguing, um, in a better situation to argue keeping that contract in place. My understanding, and once again, this is a Darren Ravel tweet, he made reference to UCLA having a force majeure in their contract with Under Armour. And I think what's really interesting about this deal, and maybe it was because of the size of the deal, it's so much larger than what A, most other universities were getting, and B, what Under Armour was giving almost every university. So I think maybe the size of this forced them to put this force majeure contract or, or language in their deal to be able to get out of it in a situation like a global pandemic or like we're facing right now. Um, but I do find it interesting that the other Under Armour deals did not have that clause there. You know, I, I think this is a tough sell and I, I feel for a UCLA administration that was, you know, kind of banking on whatever the figures are. I, I think it might have been like $16 million a year or something along yeah, those lines. It was lines. 218 overall, the length of the contract. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, you know, on a yearly basis to be able to, to grab that cash and bank on it, you know, it's obviously valuable. But to take it a step further, you know, what's the market now? for the next sponsor like you're you're not going to get a 200 plus million dollar contract um you know to me that's that's really significant just kind of the way the economy is and you know what rights are i mean we're you know img has been trying to renegotiate its rights with a lot of the schools not just in the pac-12 but across the board all their universities um for, for whatever whether it's it's live game rights on the radio or whatever the case may be you know it just goes to show you how this pandemic has really caused financial pressure for a lot of companies. And, and right now it's, it's going to get placed back onto the school. Yeah. I think also in a way, this pandemic showed us that Amer the U S people who watch sports aren't as reliant on sports as we once thought we were. Like I'm a huge college football, baseball fan. I thought I was going to be super sad without baseball and I am, but I was able to get through it. I don't think that it, that sports has really had, it has a ton of power, but I don't think it has as much, leverage as it once did before the pandemic, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I, I think there's some truth to what you said, but at the same time, I think once sports comes back on, like right. we go right back to it. Like we've gotten by because there's really no other option, right? Like what are you going to do? Like you just kind of have to live with it. Um, whereas I think there's enough fans, diehard or even casual fans, that will still gravitate towards towards the games. And I'd make an argument, live game rights, at least on from a broadcast perspective in the short term, are going to even be more valuable um, over the next, I'd say, six to eight months, just based off the fact that the comfort level for the fan to show up at an arena or a stadium is going to be limited. Um, and that's assuming that they're even allowed to be there. So I think that just puts a little bit more pressure on, um, you know, 
different networks to be able to pump out the content and put these games on, on television. But I, in my mind, I, I think once we get sports back, I think people flock to the games, um, not literally, but I think they go, right. go and watch, watch them on television. That's a fair, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Okay, so I wanted to transition to more to what I think the listeners want to hear about and what I really want to hear about, the Cougars. So, as you know, Cougar coaching great Mike Leach just left last season for Mississippi State. And in comes Nick Rolovich from Hawaii, a lesser experienced coach. What were your initial thoughts and what do you think he brings to the table for the Cougars? Love Rolo, man. I've, I've gotten the best. To, uh, to have a little interaction with him, certainly not as much interaction as I have with Mike Leach over the last last couple of years. He was always so gracious with his time and, and always entertaining. That is, there's that no is doubt about true. that, man. He always kept it light for me, and, and I'll never forget what it was like to be in that quarterback room and got the invite to go there last year to, to kind of watch how they prep, and it was eye-opening for me and um, really, really appreciative of, of that invite from Coach Leach, but then you get to know Coach Rolovich now, and I think he's a perfect fit in, in Pullman. You know, Mike was um, definitely outrageous uh, and, and certainly willing to create, and I don't want to say controversy because I think that's right. overstanding things, but I, I think he was never shy about giving his opinion, knowing that he could make headlines with having a take that was not necessarily the most normal. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that like he was willing to say some stuff to, to grab some attention um, and be different and embrace that side of his personality. And I think in Rolovich's case, that's sort of the same thing. Now, I don't think he's as outrageous as Mike Leach is. I think he, you know, kind of leans maybe back towards the center just a little bit more. But uh, Rolo's a different dude. And I think that, that's awesome for a community that certainly embraced Leach and I think would embrace a similar personality in Rolovich. And, you know, I think it's kind of like what you have in, in Kyle Smith, who's also a little bit of a different dude. And I, I think Kyle that's a huge dividends right now based off of that recruiting class and some of the things that I've been seeing and, and some of the things people have been telling me about that class. So to me, I think Rolovich is going to be a great fit, um, brings a different, you know, a uh, slightly different offensive system for sure, but certainly known for, for that offense and what he can do. And it's not the air raid, but in, in my mind, you know, I think this program is in really good hands with Rolo. Yeah, his offense to me, it seems like a better fit for us because it allows us to utilize Max Borgie more with running. But do you see any other – this is a different style. Do you see any other players that can benefit from that offense besides the obvious one that I think everyone has said in Borgie? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the personnel, I, look, the coverage is definitely not there with this team. And, you know, like I said, a departure from that air raid offense, but I think your point on – on Borgie is, is a really good one. I mean, that run and shoot is, to me, able to utilize Borgie in, in not only a different way, but utilize him even more. Like, I, I make an argument, like, right off the top of my head, like, Borgie's got to be, like, what, top two or three in the conference returning in that backfield. Like, I, I got to go through some of the names and, and some more of those rosters, but he'd be on the short list. One of the first guys who I would name off the board there um, if I was picking, you know, sort of running backs. And, you know, to me, I think he's going to thrive in that system. But across the board, I mean, you know, once again, you look at the some of these offensive players that are there, and I think one of the really impressive things with Mike Leach at the helm was this idea of, like, this rotation of quarterbacks and how he was able to go plug and play the last couple of years. But I think people do forget there was some consistency there. Um, you know, whether it was a kind of holiday and then obviously Luke following there, like he had that 
And it's been the last two years, whether it was a Gardner Minshew or an Anthony Gordon able to step into that offense. You know, I think Rolo's going to have going to be a different situation for sure because it's you know you almost feel great about any quarterback that was stepping into a Mike Leach offense but something tells me Rolovich is going to have this figured out pretty good and, and maybe it's a you know a Gunnar Cruz for example or you know a Cam Cooper one of those guys who's going to be able to take the reins. Do you think there's any possibility that we might see Jalen Delora come in this season because he did play in a similar offense in high school or is he just too inexperienced for that? It's a great question. You know, I, I, I'd be lying if I said I've gone sort of the deep dive in terms of the personnel and, and who could fit this offense best. I, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, Walker. Like, I don't know if even Rolovich knows. Like, and I think that's one of the disadvantages right now Washington State's going to have um, at the start of the year. You know, we spent some time on your podcast talking about whether there's going to be a season. You know, I think if there is and it starts on time, Coaches like Rolovich um, are going to be, I think, a little behind the eight ball just because of the lack of time that they've been able to have with their guys and assess some of their play. You know, I think the teams that have A, no turnover at the head coaching spot, B, no turnover at the coordinator position, and C, returning quarterbacks are going to be the best best suited this upcoming season in a year that's got so many unknowns. So right off the bat, and, and look, I don't think – either one of us should be assessing a coaching hire and what they do in year number one. To sure, me, that's it's a good like, hey, what, what's the three to five year? Like, what can we expect from this program and how do they turn it? And I think Rolovich, once again, is a perfect fit. But do I think we need to temper the expectations a little bit in year number one? Yeah, I'd say that for every first-year coach in the entire country. I'd say that for any program that's got a new offensive or defensive coordinator or doesn't have a returning um, quarterback. Like, I just think those teams are going to be a little bit more behind the eight ball. So what I'm hearing is the Huskies aren't going to win at all because they have a new coach, no different <laughs> returning quarterback. I'm kidding. But. You know, but it's actually a really good point. Like if I am, you know, if I was looking at comparing those two situations, I think the one slightly, the, the advantage that UW has over Washington State is Jimmy's been there for the last couple of years um, with that team and take it a step further, like. Washington's identity in terms of how they've been winning football games the last few years really is centered on their defense. And Jimmy Lake was as important as anyone to that team's defense. So I, I while I do think it's a different deal because he hasn't been, you know, certainly a head coach, um, I, 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 the fact that he's been there and there's some continuity there, I think does help bridge that gap. And, you know, I think the one really impressive thing, and I'm sure like Washington State fans, because that's who's listening to your podcast, are pissed off that I'm saying this. But, you know, like the one really cool thing about what happened with that program was when Chris Peterson decides to leave, signing day, we do that show, Jimmy comes on, they don't lose one of their guys. And that, that doesn't happen in in a signing period when you're talking about 18-year-old kids who are so damn fickle, and we're talking about flips left and right, and yet they don't lose any of their commits. Like, to me, that's really impressive, and it speaks volumes about Jimmy Lake and, and maybe why that continuity and that transition from Chris Peterson to Lake is, is going to be maybe a little bit smoother than some other first-year coaches are going to have. That bums me out, but I, I see you're thinking in that. I'll just have to stick with the sweep we had in basketball for now. Yeah, there you go, man. There you go. All right, so we're just hopefully two months away from the kickoff of the 2021 football season. What are you looking forward to most in just yeah. sports in general? 
oh my god just sign me up for sports at this point <laughs> just having some games man would be absolutely tremendous uh i'm looking forward to i think just sort of getting back to this idea of of competitiveness and you know it was really disappointing to me and i know i made reference to it before all this went down we were in las vegas for the pac-12 tournament and it's one of my favorite things that i've gotten to do um since i've been at pac-12 network when we launched and that's be a part of that tournament you watch all these possessions of games and to see it all play out in a one and done tournament is awesome to me and to not see that payoff was definitely a buzzkill for the fans i can't even imagine what it was like for the players and for and for the coaches that put so much preparation in, in trying to win these games. And now to me, to get this thing started again and started off with college football and see how some of these bigger questions like the debut of Arolovich for Washington state and the Jimmy Lake and what that apple cup is going to be like this year and sort of the progression of some other programs like you no know, Justin Herbert, where does Oregon go? USC, you know, how is that defense going to look under Todd Orlando and you're number one? Because the offense and the change under Grant Harrell, that was successful. Now can Clay help and work some of that magic and make some changes on the defensive side because that's what held them back. You know, Herm was a laughing stock when they got nationally when they hired him and I couldn't disagree more with that assessment then and, and now Herm's the one laughing at everyone who doubted him and he's yeah, got Herm's looking pretty good. Best. Oh my God, he's looking tremendous, and and he's got arguably the best young quarterback in the conference. And no disrespect to Keaton Slovis, but um, you know, Jaden Daniels is a baller. I mean, both of those guys are kind of the future, and and more appropriately, sort of the present now of this league. I think there are some great storylines in this conference, and and hopefully we get to see it in the fall. I'm looking forward to it too, and I can say firsthand, I saw that Arizona State quarterback come back and destroy us, the Cougars. So that was he definitely is for real. What would you say your single most impressive athletic achievement would be? It could be from college, high school, middle school, elementary school. Oh God, it's a man. I haven't. I spend so much time talking about what other people do athletically and don't think about it from my end. I'm just glad at, at 38, going on 39, I can still you know get to my boot camps. So you know four, four or five days a week, or at least when I was able to do them in person. So that was uh, from an old age standpoint, and, and I know you know know your audience, not that old, but um, that's a win. Uh, you know, man, I, I got I got to think back here. Uh, you know, I had some. Uh, geez. Uh, God, I, you know, it's not often when I'm stumped, man. I, you know, I'm thinking about some, some good moments, uh, when I was a swimmer and some big races that I had won, uh, when I was certainly younger, I had a couple game winning hits, never game winning home run, but I had some game winning hits in baseball that, that, uh, I think my mom still, still brings up to this day occasionally. That's something. And, uh, so, you know, we, we got a couple of those moments, but I, I think, Generally speaking, when it comes to athletics and me, uh, God, I, I miss playing. I absolutely loved it. I learned so much from being involved in not only individual sports, but team sport. I think it's so important for, for young kids to, to be able to learn about what it's like to be involved in a team and what it takes to win. Um, you know, I was never a believer in the participation trophy, and I'm glad to say we never got those when, when I was a kid. Um, you know, so I think there's that aspect of it too. But, um, you know, I, look, I, I'm just I'm thankful uh, that I'm, I'm healthy right now. And as I think back, I certainly had so many great memories. But I guess I'd circle up on, on some big races in the pool and some game-winning hits when, when I was young. I really I loved my time playing baseball for sure. That was, that was definitely maybe my best individual sport. Um, and I loved it, and, and it, you know, God, I have nothing but fond memories. What position did you play? 
Uh, you know, I played, generally speaking, it was shortstop uh, most of my life. And then as I got a little bit older, uh, my, my arm was started to die a little bit. So I actually got moved over to second base. You know, it was really funny, Walker, as, as you're asking me about positions. I had gotten hired at ESPN, um, and I will never forget this. One of my bosses, it might have been my second week on the job. My boss turns to me. And he says, you know, Mike, has anyone ever asked you the most important question about being an ESPN anchor? And I looked at him and I said, uh, well, I've been doing most of the question asking in my two weeks here, but, but what do you got? And he said, can you play softball? And I like did a double take and he's, you know, we have a league here and the anchors have a team and can you play? And before I had gotten hired at ESPN, I was, you know, playing with some buddies, just kind of like pick up softball every weekend for, for a couple of years just to kind of, you know, stay loose and, and have some fun with some friends. And I didn't realize how competitive the league was when I got to ESPN. It was kind of like this intramural league. So my boss had asked me, he's like, well, what position do you play? And I was like, well, I'm a shortstop. He goes, well, I'm shortstop. So I go, well, I guess I'm not shortstop then. So we actually were kind of the the middle. Exactly, yeah. Uh, We were the middle infielders. And, and, um, you know, unfortunately, we never won a championship. But two years out of the four that I was there, we got to uh, the the championship game. But it was so much fun. And and certainly that was – that was a blast. That was definitely a blast. That was probably the last time I had played. I used to get worried because you know this, like you play in like, you know, ballparks that aren't well kept. And in Bristol, Connecticut, they're really, you know, the park conditions were not great. So the surface is really uneven. So I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm, I'm being a baby and a, you know, prima donna where I need sort of like great, you know, well manicured fields. But when they're really rocky, I was always worried about taking a, you know, a softball to the face. Oh, you know, and then having to go to my boss's boss and say, hey, I can't go and do, you know, my shift, you know, my sports center shift because I have a black eye. So luckily it never happened, but I did take a couple uh, grounders uh, to the shoulder a couple times. But Ooh. generally speaking, you know, finished out our seasons on skate. Bill's character, that's all you can ask for. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's an, a little intro video about you on the Pac-12 network. And it said if you weren't oh, uh, the broadcaster – You'd be playing basketball, and you had a game like Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> Could you oh, go a little God. bit into that? Yeah, you know, I, my Lord, you know, I, I was always so fortunate, uh, Walker, you know, I, getting into this business. I know I, I told you, hey, it started because of fantasy basketball. And my entry point really was because of hoops. So there's always been an affinity for, for that sport, just because I'm, I'm grateful uh, for the amount of time that I had covering the NBA and, and certainly got to cover the Knicks when, when I was in college at uh, working at a radio station on campus, WSUD. And then after I graduated, like I said, the, the opportunities came at Sirius radio, whether it was doing, you know, um, you know, full court press. I got to work with Kenny Smith. I got to work with Rick Horn, D Brown. I got to host the Phil Jackson show when I was there and then got opportunities at NBA TV. So it was sort of always indebted to the sport and always was a huge fan and grew up watching Michael Jordan beat my Knicks every single year, which was certainly well-documented in, in the last dance uh, documentary. But yeah, I mean, to me, um, just super grateful of, of, of that sport. And uh, God, man, I wish I had a game like Mungsy Bogues. That was probably me having uh, probably a little bit too much uh, fun during that interview, but Lord knows, man. I, if you if you saw my basketball game, I wish I could say it was 
it was as good as Muggsy's. I don't, I don't have the elevation uh, that that Muggsy's had. Uh, Most people don't. Unfortunately, yeah. Although to be fair, I think I actually might be taller than Muggsy Bose, which once again isn't saying much. But uh, uh, you know, at, at five eight, man, I'll take whatever I can get in terms of the height battles. Yeah, no, that's for sure. All right, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you inviting me. Where can the listeners find you? Uh, you know, all on, uh, on the social media channels. Uh, I got the Facebook page, just kind of like me and every other human being on the planet. Just you can search Mike Yam, and then on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm probably most active on those platforms. It's actually the same handle on both Twitter and on IG. It's at Mike underscore Yam. So appreciate you checking that out. And, and once again, man, Walker, appreciate you inviting me on the show. And, and best of luck to you. I know you got a couple years left in Pullman. So hopefully we'll see Rolovich and uh, the football team have a lot of success. And, and I think Kyle Smith is, is certainly well on his way on the basketball side. Couldn't agree with you more. Stripper, what do you want oh, me to do here? I, mean, I get him a prostitute, what do you